this are school-age kiddos. They're going with Mr. Jason there in the back. All right, all right. While, uh, while they're doing that, I would encourage you to... Um, If you would open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. I think they're pretty excited to get out of here is what I think. I don't think they were sure exactly what was going to happen. Mark chapter 1. Um, I'm reading this. Uh, I went to the Palong Summit a couple weeks ago uh, with... Jamie and Matt East and uh, Ashley went with me, <clears throat> and we were in just random conversation. Uh, several times they mentioned this book, Mountain Rain. So uh, I'd never heard of it, and so I, I ordered the book. And um, it's uh, about a missionary, early 1900s, who <clears throat> was this um, engineering scholar, uh, played in the London Symphony gave up all that to go be a missionary in an unreached part of uh, southwestern China, southeastern Thailand. And uh, incredible. I, I, told, uh, I, told, I told Wesson and Jason when I was reading, and Wesson said, uh, that sounds like the type of shampoo I use, Mountain Rain. Um, it does kind of sound like a... The, the book is poorly written. Phenomenal truths, though, of what God did. <clears throat> thousands upon thousands of demon worshipers burned their little demon shelves and turned to the one true God. And he would go into this village. Sorry, he would, uh, he would go into this village and uh, would get such oppression against him um, that he would be run out, uh, chased out by they were trying to kill him or, you know, humiliated. And so the first 10 years of his ministry over there, he would just try harder and harder. And then he got really sick and almost died. And God spoke to him. <clears throat> he said clearly that these things only happen through prayer. And so for the next several years, he did very little preaching, very little in the tribes. He just prayed, just committed himself to praying. Went back on that same journey thousands of people turned to Christ. Thousands of people, which is unheard of if, you're, if you know anything about those cultures. I mean, they've been worshiping like that for thousands of years. And the demons and spiritual warfare are so intense, and I won't go into all that. I was struck as I'm reading this little poorly written book about a guy nobody in this room knows or has ever heard of. Uh one of Jesus' heroes, though, because of what he did. And I was struck in my own heart the lack of importance that we put on praying for other people's souls. Speaking namely to me, I'm a, uh, you know me, I'm a work for God kind of guy. And I want to work for God and work for God. I told you that. That's what I want to do. And if it's not working, I get excited about staff meeting rolling around. And we'll pull out five whiteboards and we'll redraw the whole thing. It'll look like some kind of who knows what it looks like. And very rarely do I ever think, you know what? The God's not moving because we're not praying. 
especially here. There, I think it's easy to see these people who are worshiping these demonic spirits. And here we don't have something maybe as a parent, but we have the idols of uh, materialism and power and approval that have their talons in our hearts like nothing else. And I feel like maybe as a a confession of your pastor, those things will only be removed by prayer. And not just like occasional, hey, God, would you help me? But the kind of prayer where you go days maybe without eating, where you replace things that normally bring you such comfort um, with just a desperation for prayer. As the tide of the book turns, it's, it's three-fourths of the book that I'm reading is uh, about how just the gospel is not working. Um, and the last half is about the fruit that it brings. And so can we just pray for a minute before we... <clears throat> I do have a sermon. This is not one of those pastor came unprepared. He's just going to make us pray. Would you just pray where you're at silently... And we'll just give us a few minutes. Would you first just ask God that he would break your heart for what breaks his? That if he would be so kind that he would give us a spirit of brokenness and humility. You spend a few moments praying for the people on your list that don't know Jesus as the great king. You just pray that God would open their hearts to the truth. Would you pray for our city and maybe more specifically, just the little corner of our city that you live in, your neighborhood, would you pray that the hearts of those people would be fertile soil for the gospel to be demonstrated and declared to them? If you know them by name, pray for those people by name. If not, maybe just for street names. Pray for our church. God would do something in this next season that would literally astonish us. Father, we, uh, 
say, I, I confess and repent of my uh, work the problems out kind of attitude that goes far quicker and far beyond the, uh, the pray it out attitude that I should have. Father, I pray for all your lost sons and daughters in this city, the very reason that we exist as a church. I pray, Father, that they would come to you. And that as we, your church, lives out the truth of the gospel, that our lives are remarkably different than the rest of the world. People see and notice that, and we, we're ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us. Father, thank you for um, sending Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Mark 1. Jesus is uh, coming on the scene. We see the calling of the first disciples. And we see some pretty incredible things here. This is what I've been reading the past couple days as we're about to start school back up and the rhythms are going to get more uh, <laughs> rhythmic, I guess. I, I hope that happens. Um, I'm ready um, for kids to go to bed earlier and for some more predictable things. And I've been in Mark 1, uh, I guess for a week or two, just reading this again and again. And that you're familiar with this passage. Let's start in verse 14. Jesus has just begun his ministry uh, straight in the temptation, and this is him coming out of that in verse 14. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Verse 16, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and who were in their boat mending nets and immediately called them, left their father Zebedee in the boat, the hired servants, and followed him. We see Jesus show up on the scene and... Um, it says he immediately begins to proclaim the gospel of God. That gospel is just good news. And this was typical of how they communicated in the Roman world. Whenever Rome would win a victory of any sort, they would send these messengers uh, ahead of them that would go into city to city and get in the highest point, And they would call out as loud as they could, uh, you know, Roma victor, which over whatever city that they had just defeated. Um, it was just good news. Good news. We won, guys. Good news. We won. And Jesus comes in as he begins his ministry and he says, the time is fulfilled or the time is now or this is happening. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And you begin to think, what does that mean? Jesus waiting 30 years to start his ministry, 30 years. You work on a sermon for 30 years, normally I would think it's more than one sentence. Jesus works on this sermon 
for 30 years. He begins it. It's the beginning of this, and this is it, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. To get a little context here, um, in a book we're going to start going over in in August, a book called 8 to 10, Tom Mercer writes this. I think it's on the screen. The incarnation was essentially a military invasion. And resolutely entrenched behind the gates of Fort Haiti, Satan made his position clear. He would not give up willingly. From Herod the Great to Pontius Pilate, he threw everything he had at Jesus, and it just wasn't enough. The war ended on a very difficult but very good Friday. It may have seemed to onlookers as if he was just hanging on the cruel cross, forgotten and alone, but that's only the way it seemed. In reality, he was completing the mission he had come to fulfill, slowly prying apart the talents of the enemy, dismantling the grip Satan had on our dead hearts, and forcing him to sign for his unconditional surrender. The overwhelming force of the resurrection sealed the enemy's fate, and within a matter of days, POWs began returning home. So this is the good news Jesus is talking about. When he comes and announces, hey, this is the good news of the kingdom of God, this is what he's saying. You no longer have to live as slaves to sin. But the promised seed that was promised way back in the book of Genesis, right after uh, Adam and Eve partook of the fruit and sin entered the world, there was the promised seed that one day one was going to come. So Jesus shows up on the scene and begins his ministry with this way, with a message of freedom that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Dallas Willard defines this idea of kingdom in his book, Divine Conspiracy. This is a good definition. The first time I've read this, this is the definition of kingdom as the range of his effective will. Where what he wants done is done. Again, defining what the kingdom of God is, it's the range of Christ's effective will where what he wants done is done. And this is the message that Jesus comes in with. And as we follow his, just read the gospel. It just brings such joy to my heart to see who Jesus actually was and what he did. I feel like sometimes we... We uh, make caricatures of him, maybe, and we, we highlight things. Jesus was just full of joy and full of peace. He was the perfect balance of truth and grace all the time. We see him as he's bringing parts of heaven to earth, healing the sick and, uh, and, and the lame beginning to walk and sins being forgiven and untouchables being embraced, the rejected being loved. This was the life and ministry of Jesus. This was the way of Jesus, and it's incredible. We read through the Gospels. My, we're just overwhelmed with the goodness of who Jesus is. And we know who God is by seeing who Jesus is. Hebrews 1 says that, 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 God is, uh, that Jesus was the exact representation of the Father. And ultimately, this is what he's inviting his audience to, to live this sort of way in the first century and again here in the 21st. Here's kind of the question that I want to answer. Statement and a question. There are two ways to live in this world. The way of self or the way of Jesus. Which way do we live? The way of self or the kingdom of self, the kingdom of one, leads to brokenness and destruction and everything that is so disordered in our culture. 
in your own lives and around the world. It's the kingdom of self. Surely you've seen it rear its ugly head in marriage and raising kids and working just all the time. It just seems to come up, this kingdom of self, and it only leads to brokenness and destruction. Or the other one is the kingdom of God, the way of Jesus, and it leads to peace and reconciliation and sacrificial love and humility and ultimately to a new creation. So which kingdom are are we living for? I know the question seems a bit loaded, and and it is. Most of us would quickly declare that we're living the way of Jesus, but do we really? I want us to look at this first call that Jesus, this first message he brought and this call for these disciples. And I just want to learn a few things. This is not going to be an exhaustive look at this text. But first, following the way of Jesus was an invitation. He called everyone that's there. The message was, hey, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It was a It was an open invitation. He's calling all, hey, come and follow me. He would say many, many other times. And the way you accept this invitation is through repenting and believing. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to refer to this repenting thing as siding with Jesus against yourself. I love that. Siding with Jesus. Have you ever had to talk yourself off the ledge? Or you think that someone didn't treat you properly or someone's out to get you and, and just in your mind, you may, this might have even been spoken, that you've just worked yourself up into a fury and you have to side with Jesus against yourself. Now this flies, this idea of repentance flies in the face of our culture. Our culture lives for the kingdom of self. Our mantra in this culture is if it feels good, what? Do it. Do what makes you happy. But how's that working for you? Jesus invites us to repent of our selfishness for our kingdom of self and turn to his greater kingdom. Not just in the actions, but of our entire life. Is what God wants done getting done through your life? If we're going to use Dallas Willard's definition, is what God wants done getting done through your life? Another quote by Dallas Willard. I don't know if this is on the screen. It's really long, so just, but it's, it's a great illustration. He's illustrating this idea of repentance and belief. Dallas Willard writes, As a child, I lived in an area of southern Missouri where electricity was available only in the form of lightning. But in my senior year of high school, the REA, the Rural Electrification Administration, extended its lines into the area where we lived and Electrical power became available to households and farms. When those lines came by our farm, a very different way of living presented itself. Our relationships to fundamental aspects of light, like daylight and dark, hot and cold, clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food and preserving it, could be vastly changed for the better. But we still had to believe in the electricity and its arrangements, understand them, and take practical steps involved in relying on it. You may think the comparison rather crude, he says, and in some respects it is, but it will help us to understand Jesus' basic message about the kingdom of heaven if we pause to reflect on those farmers who, in effect, heard the message, repent for electricity is at hand. Turn from your kerosene lamps and lanterns, your ice boxes and cellars, your scrub boards and rug beaters, your woman-powered sewing machines and your radio with dry cell batteries. 
The power that can make their lives far better was right there near them, whereby making relatively simple arrangements, they could utilize it. Strangely, a few just did not accept it. They did not enter into the kingdom of electricity, some because they just didn't want to change. Others, so they thought, couldn't afford it. He concludes it this way, this thought, to be sure God's kingdom has been here as long as we humans have been here and much longer. But it has been available to us through simple confidence in Jesus only from the time that he began inviting us in. I love that. Repent for electricity is at hand. What we see today This is not new to you. You've heard this call again and again. This is the call of Jesus to us to repent and believe. Now, you don't just turn from something, but you turn to something. That's what he says, repent. Turn from the way that we had lived, from the the things that we had held on to. Turn from those things, from the kingdom of self, and turn toward the kingdom of God, repenting and believing. And many of you have this very testimony. I lived for myself for this many years or for this way. And then the light came on and I had this experience and God radically changed my life. So first I want us to see that this is an invitation, repent and believe. But also this is an invitation to walk with Jesus. The lowest point in my life as I look back has been when it normally happened pretty slowly. I stopped walking with Jesus. Now, maybe it's because my life got too busy or so I thought, or maybe there was a sickness in, and just slowly but surely, I just, I just quit walking with him. I remember the first time that I wasn't a pastor's kid. I didn't go to my dad's church anymore, and I wasn't working at a church and it was probably three months, and I was like, man, this is just glorious. I can just, I didn't have to go to multiple service, didn't have to set anything up, and so uh, Ashley and I uh, were dating at the time, and I remember like three weeks in a row just not going, just thinking, man, I'm just, I'm going to live this up, and I meant like sleep in. That's what I was living up, and I remember after three weeks, I said, you know, I should get back in church, but just through the process, my heart had just drifted so far from God. I wasn't pursuing the things of God. I wasn't uh, cultivating a heart for God through Scripture. And before long, just the doubts just overwhelmed me, and I was in just a not very good place at all. Had to pray the prayer that David prays. In Psalms 51, Lord, return to me the joy of salvation. Jesus invites us to walk with him. I love this. The prophets invited people to turn from wickedness and follow the way of God. Rabbis would invite people to turn from their ideas and follow a new teaching that they would call their yoke. But Jesus is flipping the script. He's inviting people to walk with him. He's inviting people into a relationship with the God of the universe through the person of Jesus. This is a very personal cause. He saw uh, James and John and Andrew and Simon on the beach and he called them by name and invited them to come and follow him. It was a very personal invitation. And it's a very personal call even today to you. It's a very personal call 
Hey, come and follow me, Jesus says, to live in the kingdom of God, to follow the way of Jesus. I can't tell you how many times this has been lost on us, been lost on me like good rule keepers. Many of us do the work of God without walking with God. Many of us accomplish the purpose of God without enjoying the presence of God. I was talking with a friend last week about this very thing. How overwhelmingly sad it would be for God to give covenant church favor and for us to plant dozens or hundreds of churches and see our impact go all over the world, but at the end of it find out that we did the work of God without the presence of God. How heartbreaking would that be? As a matter of fact, to some of those very same people, God says, I don't even want to hear your worship. It's like clanging cymbals in my ears. Your heart is so far from me. But as good Americans, we like to set a goal and achieve it. And many of us, again, accomplish the purposes of God without enjoying the presence of God, and that breaks the heart of God. I love that Jesus just didn't call his disciples and have a quick meeting, pass on 10 commandments and some strategy about how to plant churches and then leave them there. No, he's, he called them to come and walk with him, and so he did. He spent years with them laughing and eating and enjoying life and all along the way teaching them. And he's invited us to the same thing. John Eldred's a author of a book called Beautiful Outlaw, writes it this way. Jesus has no intention of letting you become whole apart from his moment-to-moment presence and life within you. In other words, the gospel is not where we start and get saved and then we move past. No, walking with Jesus is the rhythm of our life. This is an invitation to walk with him, but it's also an invitation to partner with him in the work of restoration. I love that he says there that he's going to make them fishers of men. Verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers men Jesus changed the life of these fishermen radically can you imagine that the the extent of their entire lives maybe would have been going to Jerusalem on a long trip that's all they would have ever seen their life would have been that fishing boat and those nets and there's nothing wrong with that work But when they began to follow Jesus, he expanded the vision of their horizon, of what they could accomplish in life. John becomes the bishop of Ephesus, and Peter goes all the way to Rome. Andrew went almost to the very border of Russia. As we saw the gospel through them to the ends of the earth. As they followed Jesus, he did more through them than they could have ever dreamed. To walk the way of Jesus will mean the same for us. 
that he will use our lives to impact and change the legacies of many around us. And we're not in control of what that impact looks like. We're just supposed to be faithful where God has put us. Many of us have such a small vision, don't we? And God wants to expand that vision exponentially. It reminds me of the little boy that has the loaves and fish, remember? Takes his little lunch, being a good little boy to go hear Jesus. It was not enough food, certainly, in his little lunch pail to feed thousands, but he gives it to Jesus, and Jesus multiplies it. It would have been amazing to be there. What do you think the disciples even thought as they watched Jesus do that, picking baskets of leftovers up at the end? This is what God wants to do through us, that we bring to him what we have, and we let him do with it whatever he's planned. I promise you it's bigger and better than our wildest imagination. Ephesians 3, maybe you're familiar with this prayer of Paul. I love this because it kind of captures this, this bigger vision for our lives. Ephesians 3, verse 14, I think I have it on the screen. For this reason, this is Paul praying, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And this is probably the few verses that you're more familiar with. Verse 20, now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Radical obedience leads to power and blessing. I love too in here that it says that the call was an immediate one. It's really in the notes, but it just sticks out to me so much in the passage. He comes up to, uh, to Simon and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it says there in verse 18, and immediately they left their nets. Again, calling James and John in verse 20, and immediately he called them. The call was for immediate action. I don't know what God's put on your heart. I do have a little bit of application, but I really want to clue in to what's, what's God putting in front of you? What steps of obedience is he asking you to take? What's he inviting you into? If you've ever sat down with uh, Jason for lunch um, and asked him any question about discipleship, he probably drew a little picture for you of uh, the Cairo circle, the learning circle. I think I have a picture You've seen this before. And I want to I walk us through this. If you're new, maybe that you can, you can learn something here. I feel like we ask the question, how do we live for the kingdom of God today? How do we live for the kingdom of God? How do we walk the way of the kingdom of God today, the way of Jesus today? And I think this really helps us identify 
uh, the parts of our lives that are out of rhythm and we're able to take steps to follow Jesus. And if this doesn't make sense, ask Jason. He'll draw it on a napkin for you. How many of you are familiar with this? You've learned this in some way? Okay. <clears throat> this uh, circle um, is from Mike Breen in um, his book, uh, Building a Discipleship Culture, I think, is where um, maybe I first saw it. But there's, uh, there's six steps here, and, and these don't have to be complicated, but I, I, this is part of your homework. I do want you to take this, and sometime this week, sit down with someone that you trust who loves Jesus, and I want you to walk through this with them. This is the repentant side. As we, as we go through life, right, we hit little speed bumps, or we come into, into moments that are pregnant with meaning. Not just a date on a calendar, but, but way more than that. Things that are... Um, so uh, on August 10th, Ashley and I celebrate 16 years of, of marriage. And we look back and we think, man, we were so young then, first of all. But it's more than just a date on a calendar, right? As you think back, that that day was pregnant with meaning. There was a lot of things going on there. And this is what God's doing in our normal lives, that he's working in this, in this other way, in this other dimension, trying to expose the idols of our hearts, expose the kingdom of self that we're grasping onto, lead us to repentance through his kindness of those things, and that we would follow in belief. So this whole thing, uh, again, it comes from this Mark 1 passage. So it starts with this idea of observing, that we just look for places in our lives where God is breaking in. What's God doing? Where do we see him at work? What are the themes that keep coming back? What Maybe the repeated uh, frustrations or even failures in our own life, and it throws us down the spiral of sin sometimes. We just look for places where God is breaking in, and we reflect on what, what, what God is doing. What's he saying to me about this? What is exactly do I need to repent of? How did I even get here? We discuss this with a friend, someone who loves Jesus, who can <clears throat> help us work through our thoughts and our emotions about this thing and point us to truth. Find someone who knows the word really well. They really help you do this. Aaron, I've known Aaron and I, Aaron for a long time. We met uh, freshman year of uh, college and um, there was a mutual acquaintance and a guy named Kenny Joyner who we used to, uh, Aaron worked for and he was a friend, but I've never, ever in my life met someone whose speech was so seasoned with salt. I really feel like he knows the whole Bible. Because I would come to him with these random thoughts, and he would just, like, bring them all together to this one head, and then it had this, like, beautiful scripture about it. And I'm like, man, that's, that's amazing. <clears throat> Find somebody like that that can help just kind of get it out. Then we round the circle. This is the repenting. Now, this isn't about just behavior modification. This is real not uh, worldly grief. This is, I've broken the heart of God. This is sin in my life. I'm repenting of these things. And then we go up to believe. We have a plan and we give an account. We need accountability in this in, 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 in great ways. This, this accountability part, and I know our culture doesn't like this. This is where we break the cycle of traditional small groups where you say, hey, listen, I blew it again. I know I suck. And then we show up the next week, and again, hey, I blew it again, same sin. Man, I know I really suck. Hey, man, I blew it again, and we just do that again and again and again and again. But this accountability kind of helps us 
actually take biblical steps, not just hearing the word, but doing it. And then we act. We act on what God's saying. And my daughter's not in the room, so I can tell this story. Let me tell you um, a time that I did this wrong. Just a couple weeks ago, uh, my oldest, uh, who's 10, and she acts a lot older than that, um, was being a 10-year-old and just frustrating the fire out of me. Um, I'm not sure what I was doing. I was probably watching a TV show, which, you know, is inconsequential at best. And uh, she's being dramatic. We've entered into the dramatic. She's not in here, right? Yeah, okay. And y'all can't say anything about this. Um, and she didn't listen to the podcast, at least not this one. Um, She's being a 10-year-old, and she's really getting on my nerves, and she's being over, she has a tendency to be overly dramatic about things, and uh, she just keeps going on, and I, baby, it's going to be okay, go ask your mama, or something of that nature, and uh, just keeps going, and I don't remember, at some point, I grabbed both of her arms and say, Claire, would you just be an adult? (laughs) No, I said that, I did, and I thought, just a few minutes later, I was like, did I just ask her to be an adult? Because I know she's 10, right? And um, in, in that moment, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, you felt it, right, when you say something or do something, and you're kind of like outside of yourself looking at you, like, like well, that's not me. That's not who I want to be. I, I want my daughter to be a 10-year-old. I don't know why in that moment I thought something was so much more important than that. I began to walk myself uh, around this circle. And this is good to do, yes, in your groups. And uh, if you sit in on some of our uh, elder meetings, you're going to see a lot of this going on. We do this on a, on, a, on a weekly basis. What is God saying to me? Well, in that very moment, I mean, as clear as anything, he just revealed that I was selfish and I was prideful and I was living for myself. I thought what I was doing was more important than shepherding my child's heart. discuss it. I talked to Ashley about it. I talked to some other friends about it. Then we have to have a plan. I got to actually go to Claire and apologize. Hey, babe, dad, dad lost his cool. He didn't mean that. I don't want, I do not want you to be an adult. We need accountability in this. Holds me to act. So I, I want you to do this this week. The truth is, I've talked to many of you this week, and one of the reoccurring statements, and I think it's mostly been blamed on our Sabbath month, (laughs) has been that I feel very far from God. And I feel the great rabbi is still teaching all the time. He's got the lesson on the blackboard. He's trying to teach. And we're just speeding right past every one of these speed bumps, just not even listening to what he's saying. So I'm going to give us some time to pray. We're going to take communion in a minute, and Aaron's going to lead us, maybe a cappella. <laughs> last time he came and led for us, last time he had like a throat disease. We just picked the worst times, bro. I'm sorry. Yeah. Hand, foot, and mouth. Yes, he had hand, foot, and mouth last time. Let me, um, let me pray for us, and um, then we'll have the communion service up here. I want you to take some time just right where you are, though, and 
You can pray with a spouse or family if you want to. Pray by yourself. Would you just ask that the Lord would bring conviction? That he would just let you see into this Kairos moment for a second, this learning circle about what he's trying to teach you. Father, you're good and awesome. Lord, as we quiet our hearts and minds before you just for a few minutes before we get out of here, I ask through your Holy Spirit that you'd make clear to us what you're putting on our, the step you're asking us to take. Lord, I thank you for Jesus and his call, his personal call to us come and follow him and that he's going to take whatever we give him he's going to exponentially multiply it in ways that we could never even know I pray that repentance is a, a sweet word around our church we don't feel like we got to come in here and put any kind of mask on and tell everybody we had a good day when our, ta- our day was just so cruddy and terrible but then we wouldn't, on the other end of that spectrum, have some kind of orphan spirit because we're not orphans anymore. You've adopted us into your family and given us a seat at the table. As we prepare our hearts and minds for communion, Jesus, would you be very real to us? May we be able to live in the kingdom of God in the midst of Bossier City or Benton where we live, work, and play. May we make much of you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Got plenty of time to pray where you're at. Uh, Communion servers are here. You don't have to be a member of our church, though, to participate, just part of God's family. I think everybody's um, been around for a while, but we just take the bread and dip it into the up and you just do that when you're ready and Aaron's going to lead us in a few songs to close us out in a few minutes come when you're ready